Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Welcome everybody watching online. We're glad that you are with us as well. We're continuing a sermon series we kicked off last week on the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. So uh, in in the four Gospels, there are seven different times that Jesus speaks Uh, during his crucifixion. And we're going to go in order and look at each one of those times. We started last week uh, when they were nailing the the nails into Jesus. He actually said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And today we're going to be over in that same chapter, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. If you want to turn over to that, we're going to uh, start by reading that. Uh, Luke 23, 39 through 43. Now, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? And we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Open its truths up to us so that we do more than understand, but that we begin to live that way and respond. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, when I was 23 years ago, that was roughly 10 years ago or so, uh, I began to pastor my very first church, and there were so many things I did at 23 that I had no idea what I was doing. And a lot of things I did for the very first time as the pastor of a church. As a matter of fact, the first time I ever attended a vacation Bible school, I was the director of the vacation Bible school. So that was a little bit odd uh, going into that. I remember the first time I served communion, and I literally panicked, and I thought, what comes first, the bread or the cup? And then all I could come up with is, well, you eat something and you wash it down. So we went with that, and it happened to be right. So that worked out good. I remember the first time I ever made a hospital visit. It was a lady I had never met who was in labor, and her husband was working out of town and hadn't gotten there yet. And when I got there, I said, "Uh, I'm here to see so-and-so. I'm her pastor. And they said, oh, she's having a real bad labor. She's going to need to see you here. Put this robe on and go right back. So I literally walk in while this woman is in labor, and I said, hi, I'm your new pastor. (laughs) And I know more about you than I've ever wanted to know my entire life, you know, as, as, as we're in there. So all those were definitely first-time experiences that you never forget. And I remember the first time I ever did a funeral. There was a a family in our church. The wife, the two kids came to church. They were there all the time. The husband had absolutely no interest in church at all. As a matter of fact, pretty belligerent against it. Uh, One time, they dropped him off at church. I went out to say hi to him, and he just kind of shook his fist and drove off. And I said, well, good good to see you, too. Uh, Then he got very sick. He got cancer. Uh, His wife asked me to go uh, talk to him about Jesus. And so uh, this 23-year-old boy walks into that hospital room. I try to do that. Uh, He listens politely and then uh, asks me to leave. And uh, a day or so later, his wife told me, you're not going to believe this, but he prayed to receive Christ today. Uh, 
And so I went down to see him at the hospital when I went in. He said that indeed he had, uh, that he had done that. He asked me a few questions. We had a prayer, and the next morning he died. His wife asked me to do the funeral at church, a church he had never been in before he was dead. And uh, uh, we went into the church, and she wanted me to preach on the joys of heaven. And so I did. And if you've ever pastored a country church or been to a country church, at funerals, uh, there's a big meal afterwards. It's like a social event. Even if you didn't know the person, you stopped by for the big meal at, at church after the funeral. And I remember a lot of the guys got me over in the corner at the meal, and this is the question they asked me. Chip, do you really think that's true? Can you live your entire life thumbing your nose at God, being mean to everybody, and then two days before you die, when you're scared and you've got cancer and you feel like, uh, you know, you're afraid, suddenly say, God, forgive me, and God forgives you of all of that mess of your life, and you've never done anything about it. Well, that's the question we're going to answer today as we look into our scripture over Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Let's start down in verse 39, and the first thing we see is this. Sin hardens our hearts and takes us away from what God intended for our lives. Sin hardens our hearts and takes us away from what God intended for our lives. So in verse 39, we're told, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. So as Jesus was going to the cross, there's literally a litany of people and groups that begin to mock him, just one after another. Uh, the soldiers mock him. They scourge him. They mock him. Uh, even when he says, Father, forgive them, uh, they then cast dice for his clothes to see who's going to get his clothes. So the soldiers are mocking him. The religious leaders who condemn Jesus, they're mocking him as well, making fun of him, laughing at him. They finally are getting what they always wanted. Jesus is going to be dead in a few minutes. The crowd begins to mock Jesus. The, just the bystanders who have come by, they're mocking Jesus as well. And then when he gets to the cross in verse 39, we're told there's criminals that were crucified on each side of him. And one of the two criminals begins to mock him as well. He hurled insults at him in other words he's making fun of him saying derogatory things and then he says if you're the messiah save yourself and oh save me too while you're at it now the question comes up why would the guy act this way you're obviously got better things to worry about you're dying too on the cross but he's taking his time to mock jesus so why would he do that have no idea maybe he's doing it because in mocking jesus it takes his mind off himself and what he's going through Maybe he's doing it hoping they'll get some sympathy and, and they will either kill him quicker or they'll commute his sentence because he's mocking the person that they don't like the most, Jesus. Maybe he's just a bad guy and that's just the way he's reacted to all of life. But for whatever reason, he's mocking Jesus there on the cross. The religious leaders, the crowd, the soldiers, even one of the criminals laughing and mocking Jesus. And the message seems to be clear. We're all sinners. And at times we all mock Jesus, whether we realize it or not. The way that we live, the things that we do, are all mocking to Jesus. You know, one of the problems we have, especially if you've been in church for a very long period of time, is you begin to think you're a good person. And you begin to feel deserving. And so then you start looking down on other people and you think, gee, I'm just better than they are. You know, I'm a good person. And so you get this very self-righteous, better-than-thou-art Christianity that comes from it. And you miss the entire point of why we gather in this room. 
We don't gather in this room because we're good people and get it right. We gather in this room because we're forgiven people that God loved despite ourselves. And that's what the cross is all about. The cross is about Jesus taking our sins upon him, dying in our place, taking our punishment so that we can be free in him. Romans 3.23 says, All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, None of us are righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. Everyone is turned aside. We have all become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. So we're not saved by our goodness. You can't do enough good things to be saved. You can't believe all the right things and be saved. You can't join a church and be saved or get baptized and be saved or read your Bible or, or give a lot of money. None of those things are going to save you. And so if you think that your good living or your good beliefs are going to save you, then all you're doing is mocking Jesus. Because we have a sin problem that can only be dealt with through the way Jesus dealt with it taking it upon him we can't get rid of it ourselves he took it upon him and so that's the first thing when we look at this we need to understand how we're saved first of all and how we're saved is jesus dying for us when we didn't deserve it so then the question comes up okay if that's how we're saved how are other people saved guess what jesus dying for them when they didn't deserve it Read an interesting story this week out of Grimsby, England. There's a clock tower at an old historic church there in Grimsby. It had stopped working 12 years before, and it was stuck on 1202 for over a decade. They finally got some picture people in. They looked at it, and they said, I don't know. It's going to take fifty dollars to $60,000 to fix the clock tower, and if we try to fix it, the whole thing may come down. And so the church finally decided, well, it's just not worth it. It's impossible. It's never going to get fixed. It's just the way it is. And we've got to realize that it's unfixable. We can't pay that amount of money and risk the whole clock tower that's so historic coming down. But there was a parishioner in the church by the name of Rick Haywood. Rick was a cheesemaker. Now, a cheesemaker makes cheese, Okay. And so the cheesemaker went to them and he said, hey, can I go look at the clock tower and see what I can do about it? And they said, well, of course you're a cheesemaker. Why wouldn't we let you go look at the clock tower? So he goes up to the clock tower. He takes his apprentice, a 15-year-old kid by the name of Rick Haywood. They get up to the clock tower. They begin to look inside the clock and they find, man, it's a mess. There are dead birds everywhere from, from probably hundreds of years. There's all this buildup of gook and grease and grime from hundreds of years. And so they begin to clean all of that out. And they finally get it all cleaned out and they start the clock and nothing happens. And they go, wow, I thought, I thought that would happen. And then the 15-year-old boy comes up with an idea. What if we buy a can of WD-40? And they said, okay. So they go down, they buy a can of WD-40. They put it on all the, uh, the wheels of the clock. It began to work perfectly, and it's worked perfectly ever since then. So here you have a situation that seemed totally hopeless, nothing you could do about it, but people came in that you would least expect and did something to save the day. That's what the cross is all about. Something that you can't do to save yourself, something that seems hopeless is where Jesus steps in. We can't save ourselves. He died on the cross taking our sins, taking the sins of others. That's how we and that's how they are saved. So that brings us to the next thing we see, and that's this. Okay, if, if that's what we need to do, if we can't save ourselves, if it's on Jesus, how do we get it in the first place? Well, there's a three-point plan to regaining what we've lost. 
God had a plan for your life, an intention for your life. You created good in his image. Sin, culture, Satan has all entered in and taken us away from God. We're not what God intended for us to be. How do we get back to that? How do we get God in our life? Well, there's three things that the second criminal on the cross does that we need to look at at this time. And the first is this. First, we need to realize there's something wrong with the way we're living. Something wrong with us. Before you can come to God, find God's forgiveness, you've got to admit there's something wrong with you and the way that you're living. So there's two criminals. One's mocking Jesus for whatever reason. The other one begins to defend Jesus. Look at verses 40 and 41. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we're under the same sentence and we're being punished justly, we're getting what our deeds deserve. And so the other criminal on the cross, he says, okay, I can't believe you're mocking him. And then he gives two reasons he's defending Jesus. The first reason he's defending Jesus is that he's looked at his life and he's figured out how bad it is and he's afraid of going to hell. Don't you fear God, we're under the same sentence. In other words, we're about to die, both of us. He's about to die too. And, uh, and so we're looking at this and what we're thinking is, you know what? Uh, I'm soon going to stand before God in judgment and I've lived a pretty horrible life and I'm afraid of dying and I'm afraid of going to hell. The second thing he says is we're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. So he's readily admitting that what we have done deserves death. Now, we talked last week. The Romans didn't just crucify anybody. Crucifixion was the worst possible death the Romans could give. If you were a Roman citizen and you weren't a traitor, you had your head chopped off was generally the way that you were executed if your crimes were that serious. Crucifixion was only for the worst people and the worst crimes. It was supposed to make your punishment long and terrible so that you were an example to other people to never do what you did. So this is the worst crime that they could get, the worst punishment they could give. And this guy says what? What they are doing to me, the way they are killing me on the cross, is deserved. What I did, my crimes, deserved being killed in this way. So we don't know what he did, but whatever it was, it was bad enough that he was executed in the worst way they could kill somebody, and he's admitting that he deserves it. You know, I'm being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. So what this man has done is he's looked at his life and he said, man, I've messed up, I've done it wrong, and I'm, and I'm the one to blame. The problem we often have is that we're very narcissistic. And so we can't ever get to the point of admitting that we've done anything wrong. No matter what happens, it's somebody else's fault. Well, uh, I got fired at work. It's the boss's fault. The teacher gave me a bad grade. It's the teacher's fault. Uh, my, my, uh, my, it's my parents' fault that I'm not better at this or that. And we blame everybody for every mistake that goes on in our entire life. And what we don't understand is people can have influences in what you do and how you live, but you're the one that makes the decision. Oh, yeah, there's peer pressure and there's other things and there may be bad situations worse than other people, but you've still made the decision how you're going to live your life and what you're going to do. And there has to come a point that you say, no, I'm the one messed up. It's my fault. I was talking to a guy at a former church. Uh, he'd been married five times. I had the opportunity of doing three of his weddings with my great wedding counseling. And uh, uh, he, was, he was getting his fifth divorce at that time. And I remember he sat down with me, came in the office, sat down with me, he said, man, Chip, am I ever going to pick the right woman? 
And I said, look, there's only one common denominator in your five marriages, and it's not the women, it's you. So maybe you want to start there uh, before you go anywhere else. But we're quick to want to blame everybody else and never get around to the point of saying, hey, I'm the one that messed up. So that's what this guy does on the cross. Before we can ever really come to Jesus, we have to say there's something wrong with the way I'm living. It's just not working out. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture passage, the second of the three things we need to do. So he sees there's something wrong with himself. The next thing he sees is that there's something right with Jesus. We need to see there's just something different about Jesus. Look at the end of verse 41. So he says, we're being punished justly for what we've done, but this man... He's done nothing wrong. So he looks at Jesus and he says, look, you and I, we deserve what we're getting. Jesus is innocent. Now, maybe he's heard Jesus preach before. Uh, maybe he'd heard the stories of Jesus and thought, could they really be true? All these wonderful things. Maybe he just saw the dignity of Jesus as he was being crucified. And he said, man, it's easy to see who's right and wrong in this situation. This guy's innocent. They're just jealous of him and, and very hateful. Maybe he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them as they were driving the nails in, and it just stood out. Why would somebody do something like that? But for whatever reason, he looks at Jesus, and he says, look, we deserve this. He hasn't done anything wrong. And so there has to come in our time in our life where we say, not only have I messed up, that I'm getting it wrong, but I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm realizing there's something different about him. And we're hoping beyond hope, maybe it's true. Maybe this love stuff and this forgiveness stuff and this change and being born again stuff, maybe it's all really true. And there comes a time in our life we don't just say, I've messed up, but we begin to, begin to look God's way and think, could it possibly be, could God really do these things in my life? Everybody's heard of Colonel Harlan Sanders, the uh, uh, creator of Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. He was a folk legend, but by his own admission, he wasn't a very good guy. Uh, when he was 75 years old, though, something happened in Harlan Sanders' life. He said he was walking down the street of Louisville, Kentucky. A random stranger passed him and said, come to church this Sunday, and handed him a card from his church. It was actually Evangel Tabernacle, and he said, ah, okay. So he came to church that Sunday. He said that uh, by his own admission, he wasn't a very good person. Uh, he was just playing a role as Colonel Sanders. Uh, he didn't treat people well, and he had a terrible temper and would cuss anybody out at the drop of a hat. And he said when he was listening to the sermon that day, he felt convicted by God, and he asked to talk to the pastor afterwards. And he asked him two questions. And who are the two questions he asked? Would God really forgive me of everything I've done for 75 years just say okay it's gone would God really do something like that and the pastor said yes and then the second question if he can do that can he make me stop being so angry and cuss people out all the time and he said yes and he said well then if he can do that that's the God I need and that's when Harlan Sanders, at 75 years of age, gave his life to Jesus Christ. We have to see, first of all, there's something wrong with us, and then we have to see there's something right with Jesus. And that brings us to the last of the three things that we need to do. And the last things we need to do is this. We need to ask God for help. We need to ask God for help. In verse 42 of Luke 23, uh, the man says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
So he has an epiphany. There's something wrong with me. There's something right with Jesus. He's just different than the rest of us. Uh, I see something good in him. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe you're either a great prophet or the Messiah. I believe you're somebody. At some point, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to get your kingdom. And when you get your kingdom, just remember me. You know, uh, if that's the case, he doesn't ask for salvation or any forgiveness. He just says, could you just remember me? Uh, you know, uh, when you get there, remember that, that at least I, I'm looking at life a little bit differently while I'm dying here on the cross. And so he asked Jesus to do that. And that's our next step as well. To realize I can't fix it. God can. And then to call out to God for help. On the cross that day, there was a desperate, pathetic plea from a suffering, dying man filled with remorse and fear, and the best he could come up with was, remember me. I've made a mess of my life, a mess of my health, a mess of my relationships, a mess of my job. Please help me. And there's got to come a time in our life that we just call out to God and say, please help me. Read an interesting story out of Mesa, Arizona this week. There was a guy that was just driving down the road, and there was a fire in an apartment building, and he stopped his car, and he jumped out, and he heard two kids uh, in the apartment that was on fire uh, screaming for help, saying they couldn't get the door to get out. About that time, a police car pulled in. Uh, they, they, nobody had ladders. The fire department wasn't there yet. And so the police officers were picking up rocks, trying to break the windows to let some of the fire uh, ease out and, and escape. And uh, about that time, there was a little explosion uh, that seemed to come from the kitchen. The fire became more intense. And this random guy who'd stopped his car suddenly said, we don't have time for the fire trucks. You could hear him coming. He goes, they're not going to make it. And he runs up the side of the apartment, grabs one of the kids, takes him back down, runs up the side of the apartment again. There he is <coughs> at the top of the apartment, grabs the second kid, brings him back down. By that time, the fire truck is there. Police officers are getting the kids over to the firemen who are checking them out, getting them on oxygen. One of the police officers turned around, and the guy had just gotten in his car and left. And they have absolutely no idea who he was, where he came from, or what he was doing. But he was someone who heard a cry for help and responded. And so when we cry to God for help, that's what God does. He responds, I've messed up, I can't do it, I see something right in you, help. And we call out to him for that help. So what's God do then? Okay, we've seen we've messed up, we see our life's a mess, this, this man cries out to Jesus for help what does Jesus do when we come to Jesus paradise awaits look at verse 23 verse 43 I mean verse 43 Jesus answered him truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise it's unbelievable what Jesus just said to this man dying on the cross who just were able to come up with remember me Jesus says you're going to be with me in paradise today now, what the man said to Jesus was this. Sometime in the future, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what Jesus said is, I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about this very day. This day we're living right now. This day, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, paradise was actually a Babylonian word. It signified the gardens outside the palace uh, of the king, those beautiful uh, gardens like you see today in Versailles or something like that. Those were called paradise. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in the gardens of God in heaven. But think about what Jesus just said and who he was saying it to. 
A guy who by his own admission was, was guilty enough that he needed to be crucified for his crimes and he was just in being crucified for his crimes. This man had no time for a better life. He probably knew very little about God or the Bible. He was scared. He was in pain. He was literally dying. He probably took the drugged wine that Jesus had refused, so he might not even be thinking straight. He'd never taken a new member class. He was never baptized. And the best he could come up with is remember me. And to this man calling for help, Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And suddenly it takes us full circle again. You see, you don't go to heaven because you're good and you do everything right. You go to heaven because at some point in your life you've realized you're not. And you call out for help. And you find a God that gives you paradise. And that's exactly what happened to this very man on the cross that day. And it's what can happen in our lives as well. We had an interesting story. You may have seen it. It was on several things this week about Shaquille O'Neal buying the, the car for people. Did anybody see that? A few of you. I'm lying. Nobody raised their hand. Uh, but Oh, wait. No, okay. The Beatty family saw it. They're, that's right. They, they keep up with People Magazine and, and stuff like that. that. That's good. All right. Anyway, Shaquille O'Neal, a friend told me about a family called the Collins family. They had nine kids. Uh, so right there, they needed help before you ever got going. And their 12-passenger van had broken down. And so Shaq told his friend, hey, I'd like to take him to, to supper and meet him. So he takes them to a, a lunch at a barbecue restaurant, and they get barbecue, and then Shaq said, here, I want to take you somewhere. And after lunch, he takes them to a Mercedes-Benz dealer where he has gotten a tricked-out 15-passenger van that he gives to them. And they just can't believe it. And here they were uh, having uh, lunch with Shaq, and now suddenly he's giving them a 15-passenger Mercedes van set up especially for them. The dad started to laugh and said, no one's ever going to want to drive in my truck after seeing this van. It's got everything in it. And besides, my truck doesn't even have air conditioning, and we live in Orlando. And then the dad started laughing, and Shaq says, your truck doesn't have air conditioning? And he said, no. And he goes, get in your new van. And they drive to the Ford dealer, and Shaq buys him a new truck. And then after the truck, Shaq says, man, we've been doing this a long time. I'm hungry. Let's go to eat. And one of the kids said, can we go to the Rainforest Cafe? And Shaq says, let's go to the Rainforest Cafe. And he gets to the Rainforest Cafe, and there's a group of Baptists sitting there in yellow shirts that say disaster relief. And Shaq walks up to them, and he says, what are you all? And they said, well, we're here for some flooding. Uh, uh, we're, we're doing our mission group. And he said, paying for everybody in a yellow shirt here in this room and then the the waitress starts to laugh and says hey i got a flat tire today you want to pay for that and Shaq takes a thousand dollars out of his wallet and says get your four tires and he gives it to the waitress that was there that day quite unexpected all around and unbelievable gifts that were given what you've got to understand is that's exactly what salvation is like. Undeserved, nothing you can do to gain it, and a God who lavishes paradise upon you. It's called grace. You see, forgiveness is you not getting what you deserve. That's forgiveness. I deserve to be punished, I'm not getting it. But what God gives us is more than forgiveness. He gives us grace. He gives us not just what we didn't deserve, He gives us a blessing that we don't deserve. 
the blessing of eternal life, the blessing of his presence, uh, the blessing of a church family. He comes in our life and says, uh, the blessing of his spirit. He makes us his children. We're going to go to heaven forever. He offers us the blessing of paradise. So as we transition into this time of invitation and as the, as the band comes up at this time, there's a couple of things that I would like to ask you. First of all, have you ever gone through that process we've talked about? I've messed up. There's something right with Jesus, and you've asked God to help you. If you've never done that, as we sang this song, just come down this aisle, get to me, and say, hey, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about having Jesus Christ in my life. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've gotten to the point of saying, I, I want God in my life, and you prayed, and you said, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. Well, have you taken the next step? Have you done what Amelia did earlier? Have you been baptized? And you come and say, I want to follow through. I want to be baptized right now. Maybe you've done the first of those two things, and the next thing you need to do is say, okay, I, I've been baptized, all that, you know, but, but I haven't followed through enough. Maybe you need to become a member of the church. You walk down and say, I want to join this church, be a part of what this church is doing as we move forward. Maybe you've done that. And what you need to do is come down and say, hey, you know what? I need to start getting involved. I need to start using my gifts and my talents to really be involved here in the church and to do something for God's kingdom. And maybe you're just here and you're overwhelmed today and you want to come down this, during this time and you just want to say, hey, you know what? I believe God loves me and I just want to have a prayer. We've got people that would love to do that with you as well. But this is your time as we begin to sing this song. You come as God leads you, knowing that all he wants is your best. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.